And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Public life as an American nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. Alright, kids, we are back for another week of fun-filled nerdum. And boy, do we we have some really fun articles. Um, this week it's just gonna be you and I. Um and we're gonna go solo for a while, maybe. We'll see what happens, and then uh I know. I've gotten a couple of requests for Mario and, and Mike to come back. So I have it out there, open invitation whenever they're available to give me a text message or give me a call, drop me an email. And I would absolutely love to sit down and, and record episodes with you guys. Also, if there's anybody out there and you know, number one, you, you need to have some relevancy to the topic. You know, like you're an actual nerd. Um, you're a Star Wars nerd. You're a comic book nerd. You're a TV nerd. You're a movie nerd. You're a toy nerd. It, you know, you've, you've got to have something that would bring you to the table. Uh, and we'll do just that. Um, even if you are out of state, out of country, um, if you feel like you can bring something to, you know, to the topic that we're covering as far as nerds, drop me an email. Uh, I'll give it to you. It's just, yeah, give, I'll give you the David K. Montoya. That's D-A-V-I-D-K-M-O-N-T-O-Y-A at jazelmon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com. And tell me, tell me what you think. Tell me why you should be a co-host. And if you tickle my fancy just right, I'll bring you on. Um, we we have the technology where it doesn't matter where you're at. We can do, you know, a podcast. I mean, shoot, Mike Lutz is, uh, he's Canadian. So, you know, there you go. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I was going to say it doesn't matter where you are, but you have to have internet. That's a big thing. <laughs> So, again, drop me an email. Tell me why I should pick you as a co-host. Or if there's somebody that you would like to nominate, you're like, oh, that'd be a good idea to bring them on. Let me know, and I'll bring them on. All right, kids, let's go ahead and jump into the news and find out what we got going on this week. Uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of Marvel news. Uh, everybody knows that I'm a Marvel head, and, uh, you know, I, well, I started as a Marvel head um, in the last, I don't know, probably five years. I've kind of gravitated towards DC, um, specifically towards Batman. I've read a lot of like the, the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, uh, their work. Absolutely just, I loved it. Um, so that kind of drew me over to the... DC, but I'm still in heart. I'm a, I'm a Marvel fan. Uh, let me apologize. 
if my voice sounds a little off, it's just because it's just that time of the year. It's allergy season, and uh, my allergies are really flared up today. But we need to get this out to you, the gentle listener. And uh, so it may sound like I'm congested and uh, I'm, I'm sick. I'm not really sick. I'm just really, my allergies are really flaring. So please no email saying, you suck. I'm really getting tired of those. <laughs> really am. Okay, our first topic of the day is, did Civil War reveal when exactly Captain Marvel takes place? Now, you know, before we even read this, I did notice, did you notice, you know, the, the set photos that they leaked on Captain Marvel? It looked like the same place that the Civil War happened to be at, you know? It just, look, look, watch Civil War, look at those pictures, and, the, you, you know, the scene identical. So... And I haven't even read this part yet. Um, I decided to go in cold just to kind of be surprised with everybody else. Okay, let's find out what it says. It says, a new fan theory suggests an Easter egg is hidden in Captain America's Civil War that might reveal precisely what year the upcoming Captain Marvel is set in. Long ago, confirmed to place to take place in the 1990s, well before the debut of Tony Stark as Iron Man. Captain Marvel is a Marvel Cinematic Universe prequel that left fans searching for possible clues seated in the previous films. A Reddit user may have just found one with a new observation from the scene in 2016 Civil War that slipped under the radar. When Tony Stark meets Peter Parker for the first time, Stark pulls out a video of Spider-Man in action, which the teen dismisses as fake. Tony replies, Oh, you mean like those UFOs over Phoenix? Before discovering the hiding place of Peter's rudimentary Spider-Man costume. The Phoenix lights were an actual phenomenon and it took place in 1997 when bright lights were observed in the sky over Phoenix, Arizona. Some people claim they were the work of aliens. Now, Reddit, or a post on Reddit, suggests that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Phoenix lights, could have been the result of a battle between the Kree and the Scrolls, which makes sense makes it, it's actually that's a good idea of how tying tying that in the timing of it works too captain marvel returning to earth in the 1990s to help stop the kree scroll war from enveloping the uh, the planet earth as well uh, it says directed by anna Bowden and ryan fleck from a script they wrote with liz Fahev? Fahev? Flahav. I don't know, guys. Sorry. And then it goes on. Stars Brie Larson as Carol Denver. Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Jude Law as Marvell or Captain Marvell. Uh, Clark Gregg as 
Phil Coulson. Uh, didn't he die? I mean, like, a long time ago. I still don't understand how he came back to life on that. Uh, and it says the film arrives in March 8th, 2019. Now, I, I do like that. I like that idea. It makes sense. And it works. So, yeah, I, I'm totally for it. I mean, uh, you know it's got to be... How do I say this? You you know it's got to be in the, the past because the whole t thing on Samuel L. Jackson, he's CGI'd. His face is CGI'd to look younger. So that tells you it's got to be 20 years in the past because he looks like 20 years younger. Just kind of put two and two together too, guys. Uh, but yeah, you know, the scree... The scree... <laughs> the Korean Scroll War... Uh, over the Arizona, yeah, I like that. I like that. That's that's kind of smart writing. I'll watch it. I mean, I I I think um, because I have two girls, and I think they'll probably enjoy it. Uh, not so much Lily because Lily's three; she's my youngest. But I know that my seven-year-old, she she would dig that. Um. Yeah, she's she's really as a girl, she's pretty excited with all these new girl power movies coming out. Um, you know, with like Wonder Woman 1984, and then uh, Captain Marvel, and then isn't there? There's another one that's coming out. I can't remember. I know that. Um, uh, what is it? Batwoman's coming out on TV, but I think that might be a little too dark for her, for a seven-year-old. I'll have to watch an episode and make a decision before I let her watch that. You know, because, yeah, I mean, she's seven. Speaking of bats, um, there is, um, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and read you the, the title, and then we'll just go on with that, okay? Okay. It says, Zack Snyder's Batmobile has officially become DC Comics canon. That's kind of interesting, huh? Okay, it, I should say, this is a spoiler or war. This is a spoiler warning. It says, the following article contains minor spoilers for DC Comics 988 from James Robinson. Steven Sogovia and Rob Lai or Lee, which is in stores right now. Okay. Okay. It says, sorry, kids. My internet just kind of lagged there for a second. Over the decades, Bruce Wayne has filled his arsenal to the brim in order to fight Gotham's worst criminals and protect the world with the Justice League. In addition to being one of Earth's greatest warriors and military tacticians, we can for, we cannot forget he's a genius inventor too, often building rather specific weapons for a wide range of adversaries he often faces. You won't find much disagreement when it comes to admitting Batman's most iconic weapon is the famous Batmobile. We've seen it in the Dark Knight's side and comic cartoon, video games, movies, and now the latest cinematic interpretation has finally made the jump 
from the big screen straight to the pages of DC Comics. Zack Snyder's version of the armored vehicle is now official comic book canon. Now, I liked... It was nice. It was cool. It looked really cool. It, it was taking, you know, because, number one, you have to read Frank Miller's Dark Knight to kind of get the idea of where the Bat Tank came from. And that's pretty much what I saw it as, is an interpretation of the Bat Tank. But I will say that my favorite Batmobile was the 1989 version. Tim Burton's Batmobile was my favorite. I'm sorry. I just, it's my Batmobile. It says, in Detective Comics' latest arc, Batman is investigating a murder of a mysterious person, Frank, Harold Frank. He's in the element again, going back to his detective roots, and more importantly, he's being distracted from the depression over the Catwoman wedding fiasco. As Alfred communicates with him from the Batcave, helping him on the mission, we see Snyder's Batmobile next to the glass case in Bruce's other bat suits and Robin's costume. And then it goes on to say, It stands out due to the sleek, non-bulky design, a look Snyder opted for when Ben Affleck debuted as the Cape Crusader in 2015's Batman vs. Superman. Actually, this is incorrect. It's not Batman vs. Superman. It's Batman v. Superman, Donna Justice. They're desperate to streamline nature. We saw how explosive and durable it was. Packing machine guns, missiles, and armor that would eventually be breached by a collision with Henry Cavill's Superman after the duo butted heads. In last year's Justice League, it returned to the big screen, bulked up some more in items of weaponry in order to fight off Steppenwolf's parademons, but not to mention the underlining design. Okay. 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 I'll go okay. <laughs> However, it was merely an Easter egg as Batman takes the rooftop to take his inquiries about Harold's death. Surely fans would love to see him burning rubber with it through the streets of Gotham at some point. But it may take more than fan wishes as he got a lot of options at the Beck and Call. In the panel drawn by Steven Segovia, we see Snyder's in the top left, Tim Burton's Batmobile. Yeah, Tim Burton's Batmobile. Sorry. Starting to geek out there. Seen in 1989's Batman and 1992's Batman Returns is part perpendicular to Snyder's vehicle. The Tumblr tank and Christian Bell's plotted are piloted in Christopher Nolan's trilogy is presented and to the far right we see the one Val Kilmer drove in 1995's Batman Forever paying tribute to the various areas of the bat flicks now uh, I yeah okay 
I liked Val Kilmer's Batmobile. I liked the neon. It was cool looking, but it was just like, it looked too brittle. You know, like if it would hit something, it would just like, boom, explode. That was my only thing. Um, it, I don't know, but I, again, the, the original 1989 Batman, that was cool. I'm looking at the, the panel. That's pretty cool. Um, and I, I will go also go on record. This is just my personal statement. I hated the Tumblr. I absolutely hated the Tumblr. I thought it was the stupidest, stupid thing. I, yeah, come on. I just, yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't like the Tumblr at all. Uh, DC Comics goes on and has featured non-comic Batmobile designs in the past. The 1992 Bruce Timm animated series vehicle described, or excuse me, debated in DC Rebirth community. And Burton's version appeared in the 1992 Judge Dread Batman Judgment of Gotham crossover, as well as Sean Gordon Murphy's Batman White Knight. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. But wasn't Bruce Timm's Batmobile based off of 1989 Batmobile? So that doesn't really make sense. Uh, let's see. It also goes on to say, we've come a long way since seeing a Bat-themed car in 1941. Batman number five, which was likely designed by Jerry Robinson. Since those days, the Dark Knight has changed cars in a way that makes Fast and the Furious look like child's play. Hopefully, he decides to start driving these movie versions a bit more because it stands out. Having all these cool toys just laying around collecting dust in the bat cave seems like a waste. So that's that's kind of cute, you know. But uh, get a little homage to all the Batmans. But yeah, I, I again, I, I just prefer the nineteen eighty nine version the best. Hated the Tumblr. We'll go on record and say, yeah. No, thank you. I'll pass on the Tumblr. The movies were good, though. Even though, of course, everything was wrong about them. But, you know, movies are always wrong when it comes to that. But, yeah. I'm not going to get into a rant about that. <laughs> okay, since we're talking about Batman, let's see. We have some Batman news. And this one says... Batman. Matt Reeves has reportedly turned in his first draft. Now, I do I want to rant about? Yeah, I guess I'll rant a little bit about it. Um, I think that Ben Affleck should have been able to write, direct, and produce his movie because everybody knows that Ben Affleck is a real Batman fan. And I think that he would have done the franchise or brand or whatever you want to call it uh, a justice, no pun intended. I think that it would have been more on par with the actual comic book than what – and I could be wrong, you know, because I don't think Matt Reeves is the type of fan – or is even a fan of the Batman. So, well, I don't know. I, I'm just 
speculating. And I was kind of upset when I learned that, you know, Affleck wasn't going to be anything other than a producer on this film. So I'm a little, I'm a little salty about it. Uh, you know, what can you do? So the article says that director Matt Reeves has finally turned in his first draft of the Batman to Warner Brothers. The long-awaited film will be the Cape Crusaders' first solo outing since 2012 after the release of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, and the first since the launch of the studio's so-called DC Extended Universe. While Reeves is still giving nothing away about the Batman's plot, development does appear to be inching forward. Yeah, he's, I'll give it that. He's, he's been uh, tight-lipped. Uh, let's see. It says, The update arrives courtesy of the Raps Un Umberto? Umberto? I believe it's Umberto. I, I apologize if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Gonzalez? Uh, in response to a question on Twitter, at the beginning of August, Reeves teased that his first draft could be done in a little than two weeks. Although the timing is slightly off, the Batman's still on track with the War for Planet of the Apes director. Oh, yes, that's where I heard it from him. Who's at the helm? And then up here it actually has uh, this guy's um, tweet. And it says, the first draft of the script finally went to the studio. And then... That was, I'm trying to see when that was. That was September 13th. So, interesting. Okay, and we go on and we read. Let's see. Boarding the movie in February 2017, after Ben Affleck stepped down as director, Reeves started to, scat, to scratch and opt not to continue with the original script. From Affleck to George, or Jeff Jones, the chief creative officer of DC Entertainment. It's still unclear whether Reeves' script is written with Ben Affleck in mind or whether the Batman will introduce another actor in the cape and cow. As long rumored, the Batman has been rumored to start production in early 2019, which is certainly still possible with the first draft having been submitted. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know, kids. I, I'm, I wish they would go about this a little bit better. Um, I, I feel that DC is is not you know because like for example and when who was I talking about I think it was it, actually I know it was it was um, we were talking we had the guest Mike Lutz on and we were talking about how I took the idea of the phasing and and applied it to you know what I'm doing and I feel that they should do that as well you know DC. I feel that DC should kind of take that idea and incorporate it into their stuff because I feel like it's very unorganized. And though there there's been some things that I did like, 
but there was a lot of things that I did not like. And I feel like if they took the time to sit down and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to deviate. We're not going to try to be like Marvel because Marvel and DC are two different things. They're two different types of reads as comic book fans, and they should be two different types of movies. But have a little organization say, okay, this is what we're going to do. No, we're not going to. We're going to change our mind and we're going to do this instead. And then we're going to change our mind and do this. And then we're going to do this and do this. Follow an outline. This is what we're going to do. Then this, then this, then this. It's pretty simple. It really is. I mean, and, and, and the ideology of making a list and following it. And it'll be more cohesive, more coherent, and probably more enjoyable for the listener. No, sorry, the, the, the viewer. I was thinking about podcasts. I said listener. I'm kind of used to saying that of late. So that is kind of my, my thought on it. I'm pulling back because I, I could feel myself kind of getting into a rant. Because, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, in another decade. And, and they're going to start over again. That's what they do. It seems like that's what they do. Every 10 years, they relaunch or reboot the Batman. Or the whole DC Universe. Start it over, start it over every 10 years. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm geeking out again into a rant, and I apologize. Speaking of 10 years, um, I, I, that's a good segue into our next uh, article. And it's um, AMC has plans for at least another decade of The Walking Dead. Now, I... When did I stop watching The Walking Dead? It was after season three. So it's it's been a long time since I've stopped watching. Because I used to read the comic book. And when it, it started deviating like far, far left from the comic, I just like I couldn't I couldn't keep up. I was just like, eh, no, I'm done. But I felt because there's such a big following. Even now, even with everybody leaving, uh, you know, it just there's still that that love for it, and I felt it was necessary to cover it. So there we go. So this article goes on to say, don't expect the zombie apocalypse to end anytime soon, as AMC has plans for the Walking Dead franchise to span the next decade. Speaking to Goldman Sachs. At a conference, AMC Network CEO Josh Sappin addressed the ratings decline experienced in the eight-year-old signature drama. The Walking Dead is a universe, he told investors, and we have plans to manage over the next decade plus. The plan is a careful plan to respect the world of the fans of that world. Wow, that is a lot of double talk there, kids. Good gracious. Let's read this one more time. <coughs> Excuse me. The Walking Dead is a universe, he told investors. And we have a plan to manage over the next decade plus. That plan is 
careful plan to respect the world of the fans of that world. That is a lot of double talk. Goodness. The CEO also pointed to success experience in the spinoff, Fear of the Walking Dead, which I've never even watched, and how it has helped expand the franchise away beyond the original concept. However, The Walking Dead faces some of the biggest challenges yet in its upcoming ninth season, with the imminent departure of the stars Andrew Lincoln and Laura Cohen. The new season is viewed as a reboot of sorts for the survivalist drama with a new showrunner in Angela King and a significant time jump. Interesting. I might actually check that out to see what that's about because huh let's see let's let's just uh let's jump online here because i'm curious to see who is this angela king i've never even heard of her and she's going to be a, the showrunner you know for the walking dead so let's just take a peek and see what this is. Let's see if I can find like IMDb. There she is, IMDb. Okay. Uh, all right. Interesting. She don't have no pictures. Hmm. And it says that she's a writer, and producer, and. Let's see. If you guys know who she is, I apologize. Um, I just, I don't know who she is. And it, it looks like that she is part of the Walking Dead cast. So my apologies for not knowing who she is right off the bat. I haven't seen the TV series in a long time, so I apologize. Uh, let's see says that she was a writer. Interesting. But now... Producer, story editor, developed by... Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking... There's a new showrunner in... Angela King. Well, we'll have to find out and see what happens. It's still, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how it completely goes off from the original concept. And then it goes on to conclude that Walking Dead stars Andrew Lincoln, Norman Reedus, Lauren Cohen, Diane Guia, Melissa McBride, Lenny James, and Ah, uh, Aliana Masterson, Josh McDermott, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. The series returns to October 9th for its ninth season on AMC at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Time. And that was The Hollywood Reporter. Okay, very interesting. Um, like I said, I, I haven't watched it in a while, so... I will. I'll, I'll give the first first one a a peek and see what it's like. You know, if it 
Because that's what I felt. Like, you know, the first three were good. And, of course, they uh, like everything else on TV, it deviated from a comic. But once it it just it, – no. Nah. You know, once the characters changed and things started happening that didn't happen in the comic book, it was just – I couldn't go with it. It was just – I don't know. I was a big fan of uh, The Walking Dead. I used to get the trade paperbacks, you know, in the early part of 2000, and, and I really consumed them. And it was fun. I, I liked it before they even became popular. And, uh, you know, so I guess I'm a loyalist when it comes to that. Speaking of comic books and loyalists, one of the things that I, if anybody knows me, probably it doesn't matter if you know me personally or not, it's it's pretty much out there, is that I am a huge, huge X-Men fan. Um, big X-Men fan. Got into it in 1990 as a reader and kind of went, well, let's see. My first, I, I can remember my very first X-Men comic was the Muir Island team. And that was in 1987. So I guess I've been an X-Men fan since 1987 because I've always enjoyed them. Uh, in fact, I remember like Pride of the X-Men. Um, yeah, I've well, I seen that when it came out. Me and my cousin Michael... Uh, we watched it and we're like, oh my God, you know, we were all excited. We thought it was going to be like a, an every week thing, but it never happened. Well, not until the nineties and uh, that made me happy. I, I, but I love the X-Men. I've always loved the X-Men. Um, anyway, that brings me to my next article, which says the original five X-Men just underwent some massive changes. Now I, I don't know. I haven't read it. I'm kind of afraid to read it, to be honest with you, because I I lately I've not liked the changes of the the X Men that they've done. Um, so we're gonna find out what happens. Okay, uh, this is another warning. It says this article contains spoilers for the X Men Blue 35, and it's on sale right now. Okay, here we go. I'm nervous. <laughs> it says Marvel's extermination event underway. Didn't they already do the extermination? Uh, I'm pretty sure they did. Time is almost up for the younger, time-displaced members of the X-Men Blue. After spending the last couple of years in the present... The publisher is preparing to ship the original five X-Men back to their proper place and timeline during extermination. Of course, these events spell the end of X-Men Blue as an ongoing series, written by Colin Byrne and artist Marcus Two or Toe, are spending the final two Issues with Jean Grey, Beast, Iceman, Angel, and Cyclops saying their last goodbyes to their older counterparts as they prepare to step back and step up and travel back into the past. The timing of the original five deciding to go home is convenient, seeing as the story takes place before extermination number one. Even the X-Men have realized they are overstayed their welcome 
So why not send some of the time reflecting on how much they've changed both physically and emotionally? Fans got a glimpse of these changes in Marvel's extermination pre-credit or post-credit rather scene that popped up in X-Men titles. Jumping 19 years into the future to display the world the younger original five X-Men helped create. However, it's still a mystery what transpired in those 19 years. Magneto's trip to the future revealed a new incarnation of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, along with the knowledge of that Iceman died, leaving Gene, Cyclops, Beast, and Angel the only remaining members of the original X-Men. While it can be fun to see alternate takes on familiar characters in the time-traveling stories, we often don't learn how some changes come to be. Though, the same can be said here. X-Men Blue 35 does offer a sneak peek at a certain event that comes in to define the original five 19 years from now. Hmm. And what it is, is, let's see, a phoenix versus a devourer of worlds. Interesting. Young Jean and adult Jean get together in Italy, the location of their first meeting in Generations Phoenix and Jean Grey. As the leader of the X-Men Blue, young Jean is informing the adult Jean of her teammate's plan to return home. For a moment, the topic drifts to talk of the timeline being set in stone and whether young Jean is destined to forget everything she experienced in order to grow up and become the adult Jean Grey in front of her. We know that extensions, or excuse me, extermination, that the original five don't return home, and it here that we jump ahead into the future where what's left of Galactus hovering above the city with four silver surfers. Instead of coming to a feast on Earth, Galactus is looking to settle a score with Jean Grey and the Phoenix Force. This isn't the first time the two cosmic entities have squared off. As the Silver Surfer claimed Jean destroyed, destroyed the flesh of Galactus, adult Jean and the Phoenix parted ways in Phoenix Resurrection the return of Jean Grey, but things won't go the same for young Jean in the future. The feud also seems predicted on Jean punching Galactus. Uh, okay. Which is something Jean shares in common with Squirrel Girl. Before the scene ends, Jean sets up to deliver another crushing and humiliating blow to Galactus's carcass. The Demonic Beast. Of course, the entire reason the original five are in the present to, is because Adult Beast plucked the team from a time stream in an effort to guilt trip Cyclops. Adult Beast admits to his younger self that he miscalculated and made a mistake, but Young Beast 
has his own problems to deal with. He has recently stated dabbling, started dabbling in magic, which goes against his scientific nature. Though he has it under control for now, the future shows young Beast is succumbed to magic influence of the Goblin Queen to fight against fellow X-Men magic. Hmm. Interesting. As Adult Beast has undergone a few different physical transformations, Young Beast's final form is that of a gray-haired, demon-horned servant of the Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor. The Goblin Queen made an appearance in the X-Men Blue arc, but Beast's teammates were unable to drive her away. As for magic, her physical appearance has changed as well, with the ruler of Limbo looking similar to a flashback scene in Magneto's future Brotherhood in X-Men Blue 33. Now, I don't know, guys. That's, I don't know. I mean, I get, I get it. I get that you're, you're trying to, to do new stories, but, you know, that just doesn't make sense to me. All right, let me, let me see. Uh, okay, I'll finish this off and then we'll, we'll jump into the main thing. I'm <clears throat> taking all this in. <laughs> Ah, uh, this is all new. This is all new for me. I'm not a big fan of what I'm reading right now. Maybe you guys are. You can email me and let me know. Um, you know, tell me what I'm missing. Uh, you know, because this is somebody's first comic book. You know, this is somebody, this is something that you guys love. Okay, it says, this is page two, by the way. Icy Future. The young beast notes that the original five need to figure out a way to undergo everything that's happened to them before they go home. He then realizes undergoing Iceman's character growth would be the cruelest thing to happen to any member of the team. Young Iceman may not have changed physically, but he looks though he he took the heroic step by coming out as gay. Though young Gene has a hand in making that happen by outing him. As the two Icemen play a round of pool and make ice puns, adult Iceman asks that he, his younger counterpart never change no matter what happens to him when he goes back to the past. Young Bobby Drake's future version is a simple date with a man named Carson, or Casson, I don't know with Bobby turning the park into a writer wonderland. This scene, a winter wonderland, sorry. The scene is especially heartbreaking since Iceman will be killed at some point in the future. Hmm. They've really just changed everything from what I know. See, I grew up with Days of the Future Past, kids. Um, and... This is like far, far, far left of, I don't know. It says, New and Old Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Both young and, young and adult Warren Worthington have changed quite a bit in recent years. The young angel getting energy wings from the black vortex and the adult angel 
returning to his archangel persona. Old, unfortunately, whether it's the young or old version, Angel will always have his fate entwined with Apocalypse. The fight between the two angels in the end, future's end with the young hero supplementing the old guard to become Apocalypse's new horseman of death. Mm. Yeah. See, you don't want to get rid of that. I mean, back in the present, the young angel tries to tell the older hero goodbye. He is taken to a mutant hideaway where adult angel reveals he has been caring for a group of sleeper mutants who used to used to be under the care of Zorn. When Zorn sacrificed himself in the Mother Vine arc, adult angel stepped and to fill in the void. Adult Angel tries to pass the guardship onto Young Angel, but the original five plans won't allow that to happen. All right. This is it. Now, Cyclops is my favorite character, so I'm, I'm kind of like... <laughs> All right. This one says, Here lies Scott Summers. Finally, we end with X-Men Blue 35 as young Cyclops and Bloodstorm on Muir Island. And Bloodstorm on Muir Island? I don't even know who Bloodstorm is. The location of adult Cyclops' death in Inhumans versus X-Men. Instead of a glimpse of Cyclops' future, young Cyclops is only left to reflect on how the future is currently lying dead in a grave. Of course, we know Scott does survive in the future, but there is no way for him to know that. There is no closure for young Cyclops in this issue, but the series finale may provide a better ending note for not only him, but also the rest of the time-displaced X-Men. And that's it, kids. That's I don't know. I, I shoot. I don't know. I'm kind of not. I don't know. I I. It's nothing that is drawing, telling me to come back and you know look at the comic books one more time, spend my money. But you know, I, I'm very critical. I'll be the first one to tell you I'm very critical when it comes to the X Men. So. There you have it. All right, kids, we are rounding the corner to wrap this up. So we've got uh, one more, actually two more. Um, sorry about that. We've got two more articles that are entwined. So let's go ahead and hear about it. The big one this week is Michael B. Jordan as Superman. And it's an anatomy of a rumor. Now, people just lost their minds about this. So let's just go ahead. Let me read it, and we'll go on, and we'll talk about it. So let's see what it says. It says, As soon as the story broke that Henry Cavill was out of Superman, other information regarding the actor's situation beginning to decimate online. Some outlets confirm that this is a done deal. Others indicate Cavill's not done wearing the cape just yet. And Warner Brothers' official statement offered no real clarity on the subject. 
One of the more popular claims arrived in Deadline's report of the story. According to the Hollywood-based outlet, the word has been out that Warner Brothers has been muling a completely different version uh, by, let's see, has been muling a completely different direction with its Superman canon for some time, even considering casting Michael B. Jordan in the role down the road. Many fans picked up on this bit of potential news and took to social media to voice their dissatisfaction over the possible casting. But frankly, it's a little hard to believe. You see, every time a new Superman project gets announced, Jordan's name seems automatically linked to it. It's understandable considering how he starred in a few superhero flicks already, and he's a major star that every franchise wants to get uh, him into. I'm, there, it was kind of derogatory there in that sentence, so I changed it. The last, the latest rumor, though, sounds like the broken telephone effect in action. We break it down into four realistic potential scenarios. First, Jordan and Warner Brothers recently announced a new program to increase diversity and infusion on both sides of the camera. The innovative has been to establish a partnership with actor Michael B. Jordan and will apply to all productions going forward, beginning with Jordan's Just Mercy. It is undoubtedly shows that Warner Brothers is high on Jordan, and we should expect to see him involved in the studio's blockbusters in years to ahead. It also entirely possible that this piece of news crossed a few wires and someone made assumptions that it was a discussion about Superman. For all we know, Jordan may have joked in a meeting that he'd like to play the Man of Steel and someone took it to face value. Eh, okay. Second possibility is that the project is in question is about Henry uh, Cal, Calvin Ellis, a Superman from another reality in DC Multiverse who was modeled on Barack Obama. The character isn't replaced for Cal for Kyle Cal L. Sorry, my I don't know if you can tell from my voice, but uh, my allergies are really kicking in. But the alternative version introduced into comics, a movie such as this wouldn't be part of the main canon, but could find a home under the same banner as Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and to be a standalone, non-DCU project. Whether the concept is strong enough to be a live-action effort is another story, though it does lead to the next possibility, which Jordan could be playing the Man of Steel in an upcoming animated film. He's certainly no stranger to DC animation, having already voiced Victor Stone Cyborg in 2013 Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, which was really, really good. Um, with Warner ramping up its animated movies, it's, it's plausible that the studio has met with Jordan and offered him a role. For the most part, 
the studio has forced or focused mostly on Batman features, but recent success of Death of the Superman may have inspired it and put more faith in the Man of Steel at the heart of the future's release. Attaching a big name like Jordan to one of these projects would certainly get attention beyond the level they typically receive. The final possibility is that Warner Brothers could indeed be planning to recast the role down the line and indeed in talks with Jordan for the role. The colorblind casting approach would, would prove to be revolutionary and successful, would encourage other studios to follow suit. In 2004, the studio showed courage as they cast Holly Berry as the traditional white Catwoman. Sorry, my throat's... <clears throat> While the film might have been a... Uh, the film was a flop. Well, yeah, it says right here, financial flop. It demonstrates... Uh, it demonstrates Warner will try to do different things and get out of its comfort zones once in a while. Or maybe the rumor is just false. While it comes to DC films, we've seen some wild and wonderful tales, stories gain traction among the fans and Hollywood professionals alike from Batman Beyond film. Oh, that would have been so cool. Uh, um, and Green Lantern in Justice League. We've heard it all. Sure, it makes fun debate and talk about our friends and fr frenemies, but it's also important to pull all of this into context. For now, just keep in mind that you'll be seeing endless rumors and hot takes about the future of Superman in the days to come, and some fans will lose their mind over the tidbits. It's important to apply a little common sense and question to the legitimacy of the information and sources. In terms, Jordan as Superman, nothing is even remotely close to being official yet. So don't get too carried away with it. If it does prove to be true, though, it'll be an interesting, groundbreaking choice. Then, with all of that going on, we end with this, and it is Henry Cavill's posts cryptic Superman-themed video. Okay. All right, kids, this is the last one, so here we go. <clears throat> the Man of Steel's Henry Cavill has finally responded to reports that he will no longer play Superman in the DC Extended Universe of sort. The Justice League star shared a Superman-themed video on his Instagram that is sure to leave fans scratching their head. Caption, Today was exciting! The video shows a silent cavil in a dark room, a cover of John Strauss's The Blue Dunn Waltz, accompanied by a barking dog, playing or plays as he slowly lifts an action figure of Superman into the flame. Notably, he is also wearing the shirt that says Krypton Lifting Team and has his hair pulled forward, likely as a callback to Superman's iconic hair curl. 
Meaning behind the video is unclear at this time. Okay, that's interesting. Earlier today, reports claimed that negotiations between Cavill and Warner Brothers broke down after the studio tried to sign Cavill to a cameo role in the upcoming Shazam. However, sources indicate an agreement couldn't be reached, learned the speculation that Cavill's time as the Man of Steel had come to an end. The 35-year-old Cavill has cast the little role of director Zack Snyder's Man of Steel and, let's see, in 2013 retroactive launch in DC Universe and return to 2016's Batman v Superman and 2017's Justice League, none of which earned the reputation of a blockbuster status Warner Brothers might have envisioned. While there have been rumblings of Super, or the Man of Steel sequel, no concrete development has emerged. And Warner Brothers' next DCEU is Aquaman, which is directed by James Wan and stars Jason Momoa as Aquaman. There you go. And it's supposed to be in the, uh, it, it's scheduled to make a big splash in theaters December 21st. All right, kids, that's, that's it. Um, so people are thinking that, and I, I thought it was true myself when I first read it, but you know, coming into everything now, it's not looking so true because you know, if, if it were true, then, Henry Cavill would just come out. He wouldn't be making like little videos and cryptic videos and stuff like that. That's, that's just not, you know, they're playing with the, the audience to gain attention to whatever is coming up. So keep an eye on the character Superman because they're going to be doing something with him and it's going to probably be Henry Cavill. All right, kids, I have ranted and raved and carried on for the last hour. Thank you for coming in. Um, I would love to hear what your thoughts are. You can reach me at David K. Montoya at jayzomon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com. And let me know your thoughts. Um, if you're going to make them bad, be be constructive, okay? Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind constructive criticism. I'm always looking forward to, to reading your thoughts. So for this week, I am David K. Montoya. And for my public life as an American nerd, I bid you adieu.